Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum, and today we got some more trades to break down as they keep trickling in before the deadline here. Uh, eight days away as we record, or eight and a half days, I guess. It's uh, next Friday, and we're recording on Wednesday, so... Um, the big one big trade that happened this week and a couple smaller ones. Uh, let's just jump right into the biggest trade of the week. Uh, and honestly, probably what will go down is one of the biggest trades of the deadline, regardless of what happens. And that is the Toronto Maple Leafs being dirty, stinking liars and trading first round picks specifically that they said they weren't going to trade for what looks like a peer rental at this point. Ryan O'Reilly on his way to the Toronto Maple Leafs, an absolute uh, uh, huge deal. It also goes through Minnesota as well. So St. Louis doesn't retain any salary. St. Louis gets the D, uh, technically gets O'Reilly, retains $3.75 million, gets a fourth round pick for that. And then Toronto actually gets Ryan O'Reilly um, at 50%. So he's 1.875. So I think, uh, I think, sorry, Minnesota retained 1.875. St. Louis retained 3.75. So uh, Ryan O'Reilly at a much cheaper cap hit this year than his original contract. That's how they had to make it work. Uh, they also get Nola Chari from St. Louis at a $1.25 million cap hit up this year. Uh, as I mentioned, Minnesota gets the fourth round pick from Toronto in 2025 uh, for eating about a million, 1.8 in uh, salary. Um, St. Louis gets a first this year, a third this year, a second next year, as well as Adam Gaudet and Mikel Abramov. Um, Quite the deal. Lots of ways to break this down. First of all, I think the easiest side to me anyways is St. Louis. This is a good deal for St. Louis. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think they can complain at all, right? No, I uh, like you get a first round pick. And I mean, I, I think we were expecting him to bring in a first round pick just with the name value alone. Um, you know, even if his play has been a little worrisome at times this year, but you get a first, second, and third for Ryan O'Reilly and and Nolachari as well, and we'll get to that part too. Um, man, I mean, I get like a first, second, third, so they now got what? Two first, a second, a third, and did they get some, another pick in the Tarasenko deal? Like they've really re restocked their um, draft pick shelves and put them in a good position to be in a, a mini retool here. Like I, I know we use that term all the time, but St. Louis is doing exactly what you should when you have pending UFAs that, you know, you, you're not going to be able to keep and you want to kind of retool your team on the fly. Exactly. And it's a stacked draft class. Like, I don't know, that's, that's more luck than skill or whatever, I would guess, but like you couldn't have timed it any better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think, you know, they definitely weren't signing contracts seven years, seven years ago with O'Reilly and being like, Oh yeah, no, but already in seven years <laughs> yeah. is going to be the draft we want. But you yeah, know, like the, but there is something to be said to acknowledging it and actually rebuilding. Unlike, you know, you could argue Vancouver didn't do that, you know, like a team like Vancouver probably should have been selling more assets. And even the JT Miller probably should have been sold for assets that to this year's draft because of how deep it is where, you know, at least they're out identifying it. Um, so yeah, they now currently have three first round picks. Now, one of them's the, there is a condition on the Rangers one. That's the top 10 or no, it'll be the later of the Rangers now. So they, they will have three first round picks. They don't have their own second round pick this year, but they do have two thirds. Uh, and then they have the rest of their own picks. And the next year they have two seconds and two fourths additionally already on top of all their, their normal picks. So I, I think that's the easiest way. Maybe the second easiest is Minnesota also good on them for getting $1.875 million, a fourth round pick for just eating some money. Again, you know, how often have we talked 
more teams should do that if their owner's willing to spend. Yeah, and not only that, I saw this was a tweet, and I don't know exactly um, if it was true or not, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Assuming it's true, apparently this draft pick only cost them 47k, which is like the cheapest purchase of said draft pick in That's, actual dollars ever seen. I can try and verify that right now, but I bet you that is correct because, uh, yeah, so Ryan O'Reilly got five million in signing bonuses this year, which means his actual salary throughout the year was 2.5 or no, his base salary was one million dollars this year. So you get paid by the day or by every like. NHL salaries throughout the year are the exact same as like your and I, you know, a normal salary as well. Like they get paid, I think it's probably bi-weekly. Maybe it's every week. I don't know. But as that goes on, obviously he's been paid part of that $1 million throughout the year. So if it's a 210 day season or whatever, if we're 111, and I'm just throwing numbers around here, right? But if we're say yeah. 115 days into it, uh, out of a 200-day season, yeah, we're 57%, 55% done the season. That means he's only got 450 k in that scenario left of the base salary to pay. So Yeah, so that's not even an expensive draft pick or anything like that. Like, that's just an absolute win for them. Yeah, exactly. And again, like, even more so on that 1.875 of 7 mil would be... I'm I'm trying to do math in my head now, uh, but 25%, like just under 25%, right? So, um, yeah. or just over, I guess it would be. So yeah, like literally a 400, yeah, literally be a hundred K probably that they're paying. And, and that's in my very quick, non-official math. So it absolutely sounds right that it would be under a hundred K for this draft pick. So um, I guess the only maybe thing you could argue for Minnesota's side is they seem destined to just accept that their team's not very good this year and they're going to be fourth in their own division and probably miss the playoffs. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, the opportunity cost is something, but maybe not really miss the playoffs. They're they're in the second wild card spot, I guess, right now. But like, I don't know. Like, I, I they just they, they were one of the few teams. Like, I, I don't hate it. I just like I think if if you were gonna push back on any of St. Louis or Minnesota side, I think that's the only way you can really push back for Minnesota, right? Yeah, you could definitely push back and say, hey, you should be trying to add or whatever instead of getting a fourth round pick two years from now but like i don't know if the eighth place team in the in the conference starts buying people are usually assuming they're doing something incredibly wrong so like i'm i'm more than comfortable with that that logic for them yeah i kind of agree and in fact i could see them being sellers this deadline with matt dumba it sounds like they might be i mean it makes sense they're probably there's no way they re-sign him and again like this team isn't going on a playoff run so you know, and like they're I, I doing think makes the sense. St. Louis thing from a few years ago, trading Shad and Kirk, even though you're you're in the playoffs or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, no, I, I really like those. Uh, that like I think it's a pretty slam dunk. Like that was a smart move from both those sides. Uh, obviously, Toronto. I think it's a little more nuanced in terms of there is discussion to be had back and forth. Um, I know when me and you were sitting right on side of the, this is the first time I think I've ever had news break by the TV uh, because you and I were sitting there watching and we we're just hanging out on Friday night with a couple buddies and we had uh, I think it was the NBA All Star Game had just finished so Sportsnet um, Central was coming on and and I look and I see this red bar across the bottom of the screen and and those are the Sportsnet alerts and usually it's just like some Canadian one around in tennis or whatever, you know, not, nothing real important. And so I'm going to look at it. I see Toronto Maple Leafs. I go, oh, they didn't play tonight. Why, why would they, they wouldn't be posting a score. And then I see Toronto Maple Leafs acquire Ryan O'Reilly from the St. Louis Blues. And I just tap you on the shoulder. And I go, dude, look at that. And um, 
it's safe to say your reaction originally was what on earth just happened and why are they doing this? Have you come around on this trade from your first reaction almost a week ago and having a week to digest it now? Yeah, I was, I was pretty pissed at first. Um, I have since very much come around and I am cautiously optimistic, I would say. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. I, I, you know, I've done a lot of things on this trade too. So I didn't know how to feel. And my first, my instant reaction when I saw the trade was interesting. And then my second reaction was, God, a first, a second, a third, and a fourth seems like a lot to give up. Now, that's what scared me at first. I'm like, God, that's a lot. Like they, they emptied the clip on this one. For sure. And like, it is a lot on paper. Like, like let's be honest. It is a lot. It's, I don't think there's any beating around the bush. Now, the third was not theirs. It was Ottawa's third that they got in the Matt Murray deal. So that's at least a little better. Um, but it's still, but the way I kind of looked at it, I guess I went, I guess if you told me, you know, so the fourth was purely for salary retention. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's yeah. say some team didn't need salary retention and they just wanted to trade for Ryan O'Reilly. If you told me Ryan O'Reilly went for a first and a second at the deadline, I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't seem that far off. And then Nolachari goes for a third. Doesn't seem that far off. Maybe you want to say yeah. Ryan O'Reilly goes for a one and a three, and some teams like we need Nolachari as depth, but he goes for a second. Probably a little bit of an overpay, but again, doesn't seem that far off. So to throw both of them in the same trade, it just looks like more. But I, I feel like people look at this trade and go, it's just O'Reilly for four draft picks. And you know, O'Reilly is the determining part in terms of success in this trade, but Nolachari is not nothing either. He's a decent little depth piece. And that's like, we see those go for third round picks all the time. Oh, easy. So then the question becomes, do people change their mind on the return if it's a first, second, and fourth instead of adding that third in there for Achari? Like if they're, if they're two separate transactions, do people look more favorable on the return? Toronto's on side, I guess. Probably. Just like the and, number of assets feels worse, even if you're like starting to give up less and less, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, and again, like my first reaction was, oh my God, that's a lot. Like, especially considering we just saw Tarasenko go for a first. Um, but at the same time, like, then I started thinking about the fit. So obviously, I think let's get to the cautious side of things. Let's say what it is O'Reilly has not had a great year in St. Louis. Yeah, although he hasn't had an awful year either. He's still been distinctly good in his down year. Yeah, he just hasn't been the Selkie winner and Hart winner from 2019, which very high bar. And But to me, that exact reason is why I don't hate this trade. Because, um, like, that's from, the floor, you mean? Yeah, like, the floor is good player, but the ceiling is literal Hart winner. Or not Hart, um... Uh, What's the playoff? Playoff one? MVP, yeah. Con um, Smythe. Con Smythe, yes, thank you. He won the Con Smythe in 2019. Like, but like that's your ceiling right there. And I, I don't think O'Reilly's going to hit that with Toronto. But like, the nice thing is he doesn't need to hit that. He could be the fifth best forward on this team, and that could still be way more than enough. Yeah, and yeah, that's why I'm starting to really come around to it because. He's been a good second line center in this year where all anyone could talk about is how horrible he's been. If that's as bad as you get, plus, and that's why I think 
so many people are so high on this trade because analytically he still looks very strong, especially if you use three-year numbers, which you should be a little skeptical of when he's 32 and it looks like he's probably legitimately declining, but still, um, again, still, you know, good second line center. Plus you add in all the intangible stuff that people love. And I think it makes sense that the approval rating on this trade is like near a hundred percent, which as far as I've seen, it pretty much is. Yep. I would say my biggest concern in terms of the trade is honestly, because I saw like, and honestly, like I, you know, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think one of the things you said on Friday night before just, and again, like this is just natural reaction found to happen is did they learn nothing from Felino in terms of, and, and that's, I think, is still the concern in terms of injury yeah. for Ryan O'Reilly. But the bar is so much higher of what Ryan O'Reilly can, and the floor is so much higher of what O'Reilly is as a player versus Felino that I think the injury risk is a legitimate gamble to take, whereas with Felino, it was always stupid because it's like, even if he's healthy, your, your ceiling is a good third-line player here. Yeah, exactly. And I've started to think we're like, I wanted them to get scoring was the original reason I was especially upset. And Ryan O'Reilly, again, good second line center, but he's not exactly going to shoot the lights out, especially against Tampa, probably. But the more I've started to think about it, I wonder if, because like last year, basically they used David Camp in such a way that Austin Matthews had to play zero defense, or at least that was the goal. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I think is smart. And the more I've started to think about it, like, because of the ways talent is just distributed in the league, like the superstars matter so much more than like a 10% improvement on Pierre Angwell kind of thing. So maybe making John Tavares and William Nylander are also able to play purely offensively with like a very, very solid, another defensive player is more beneficial to your offense than upgrading on Angwell by 20%, even if it's only a 5% upgrade on Nylander and Tavares too. That's been another way I've been starting to think about it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And the funny thing is they could still go up and, and upgrade on Angwell if they want. They have $4.4 million in deadline cap space because yep. of how much they retained on this trade. And also the unfortunate news comes out today. Jake Muzzin is done for the year, not even play. Like, oh, did that get not official? A, Yep, they made it. They, they released a statement on it today. So he is not playing for the rest of this year. Not even play like this is not a Kucherov thing. This is uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs official account put an update on Muzzin ruled out for the entire season. It really doesn't sound like he's going to play again. Um, so That's that'll true. be it. Yeah, it's going to be an issue in its own thing. So absolutely sucks for Jake Muzzin. But but you know, from an just a purely cap perspective, and again, like I, I don't want to. I don't want to underplay, you know, obviously I think, you know, we were both huge fans of Jake Monson. We've, we've had him in our top 20 defensemen for a couple of years now. Um, you know, you don't want to see a guy have to end his career like that, but it, it's good that on the other hand, it is good that he's at least doing the safe thing and not trying to play with a freaking spinal injury, you know? Um, yep. So, you know, you just got to hope that he can at least live a healthy life when probably retired now, but yeah, you still can back to the, the what I was saying is, um, with that money, you still can go and upgrade on uh, uh, Pierre Engvall offensively if you really feel like you do need that scoring punch. Um, and I I think, you know, what I really like about the O'Reilly trade in terms of what you were saying with how important superstars are, d- even defensive. So the other thing is people keep seeming to think this team needs defense. Well, Ryan O'Reilly at 1.875 is going to be way more effective defensively than even like Vladislav 
Gavrikov is going to be. I would think so. And like I, I feel pretty confident in that, you know, just with how good we yeah. know he is defensively. And we'll get to this in a little bit, but David Pagnotta was re- uh, reporting that Boston, uh, Gavrikov to Boston is almost done for a first and a third. So I get like that's exactly what you just paid for O'Reilly if you you know don't count the salary retention. Yeah, at which point give me O'Reilly. Exactly. So you know, and maybe again you could argue O'Reilly's first and second, and then Achari's third, but it's same it's same kind of idea. So um, no, I, I like this. I'm I'm going to be really curious to see how they use it. And obviously, I think we it goes without saying that a freaking hat trick against Buffalo the other night obviously <laughs> yeah. helps. Uh, um, like lighten the mood a little bit, but I'd like to think our, our listeners uh, are aware enough that we uh, we try to look at things at more of a macro level than just uh, react to the la- very last thing we saw, you know? Yeah. Now, one thing worth reacting to is that's kind of what I was thinking with O'Reilly, where it's like they'd shelter the Tavares line. Using O'Reilly as Tavares' center and moving Tavares to the wing looks like it may actually be a thing. Keith did so- say he sees Tavares going back center long term. But like it's an interesting wrinkle that they've got now. This is what I was just yeah. This is what I was going to lead to as well. Is yeah. So they you know we we talked about how they can be used as defensive one, but that's not how he's being used right now. They've loaded up the top six. They have honestly, I think the most dead, disgusting top six in the league. They're like that second line, it's their second line. It's got Tavares, Marner, and O'Reilly. Like yeah, of course that's like a Team Canada second line. Like yeah. um, so maybe a Team Canada third or fourth line, but still like, that's absolutely disgusting. Having a Team Canada line period on your team that <laughs> isn't your first line is insane. Yeah, literally. So it, it's just like um, I, I think, you know, Keith obviously wants to get O'Reilly used to him, and it sounds like they're going to do this for four or five games. I, I would assume, and just, you know, obviously with how much Keith loves throwing lineups in the blender, um, it'll be a thing where I think he probably starts the playoffs as the 3C and they see that defensively. But this yeah. gives them the ability – in a game seven, when they're down a goal to stack a top six, which I think is kind of something yeah. they were missing at times last year, right? Because they could obviously, they would go where they would do the Tavares, Matthew Marner line, but then Nylander would be hopping out there with like Kerfoot and Engvall. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> there's only so much that first line can play before you get diminishing returns because they're so tired. Whereas now, like, again, it might only be for eight minutes at a time. If you feel you need a massive goal, you can stack your top six and just rotate those two lines all the way through. Yeah, exactly. It just gives them so much more flexibility. And like, say at home, you need to score where you can protect your lines. You want to load them up, whereas like away where you can't protect them, you want to spread them out or something like it's they're a lot more like anti-fragile now, I guess. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And so I um, like he's got to be the happiest person in the world about this trade, I would think. Oh, yes. Like and again, like, you know, I, I don't think they're done. I would be. um pretty shocked if they didn't go and make at least some other small move. I don't think, you know, honestly, like a big move like Patrick Kane's could still be in the cards if they really wanted to. And the price was right. Um, but I think even if they only make, you know, a couple moves around the edges where they, they just get like a little more insurance. I, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked, but yeah, like this is, this is a big swing and I, I give them credit because, you know, it's a swing. I think they need to take to, to try and keep up in this arms race. That is the Atlantic division. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Everybody's like, lol, they're fifth in their own conference or fourth in their own conference or whatever. It's like, well, that's an obnoxious way of saying they're the fourth best team in the league because of the way skills are distributed. If you're the fourth best team in the league, 
trying to win the Stanley Cup should be your fucking goal. Yep. And say what you want about the Game 7s and stuff. I mean, you know, it's, frankly, to me, it's hilarious. But at the end of the day, I think there is also something reasonable to be like, we can't keep flipping tails nine times in a row. And, you know, some people argue, well, the Game 7 thing is actually intangibles. And... I think there's a little bit to play in terms of like, I have seen this team shut down. Like you do see the team, like Montreal is the biggest example for me. They get scored on early and they just shut down. Like they rushed every single pass. You could tell they were nervous, you know, and same kind of thing against Tampa, but even against Tampa, they have a goal called off that, I mean, Leaf fans still hate to this day because of the interference. And it's like, well, if that goal stands, it could be a a completely different game. So I think knowing that you're probably going to be in a scenario where you're in a game six, game seven must win again giving yourself another asset to move that coin to heads in your favor is a smart thing to do. A hundred percent. Cause like at the end of the day, Tampa's roster is not what it used to be either, especially with Victor Hedman struggling this year. Yeah. Um, you know, like they're the only thing that like, not obviously not the only thing, but like the, the real boogeyman with Tampa is still just Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky. But, yeah. But from a pure roster standpoint, like Toronto can't do anything to change that. So, you know, there's only, you can only control what you control. And yeah, like giving a guy like O'Reilly to try and help shut down that, uh, the, the, the few weapons that, uh, not, again, few is not the right word, but the really dangerous weapons that Tampa has. And then go, okay, we're going to let Matthews play against Nick Paul. Again, Nick Paul got the better of that last year, but I'll take that bet pretty often if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs. Exactly. Give me, give me the one the side with the best goal scorer on earth in the long run. Yeah, exactly. So, um, hey, and if you know, if you want to actually place a bet, you know where you can go, Chase. I think I do actually. To use our partner with BetStamp. Uh, BetStamp is the easiest way, uh, the, the the best way to make money. Uh, the, the best way to make money while sports gambling is to have multiple books open and money in across multiple books. And BetStamp easily allows you to line shop and compare lines across those books, so you know which ones you should actually be betting on. You know, it allows you to get the edge on online sports betting. Uh, which is so clutch because, you know, these are these are markets that can be so tight. Uh, having multiple accounts on different sports books allows you to find games where the value is a lot higher one way or the other. Um, you, there's also verified bet tracking, so you can uh, keep track of what you have bet, your return on investment, how much you've won or lost. And there's also commission-free marketplace. You can uh, check what other top bettors are doing and where they're placing their money and, and if you want to fade them or take their advice. And it's all completely free, so... Uh, if you download the BetStamp app, if you would use the referral code MNM Hockey, it is completely free, 100%. Uh, it, it would mean a lot to us. And thank you to BetStamp for sponsoring the podcast. All right. Uh, I think that's probably good on the O'Reilly trade. I think we've uh, we've hit most of the angles, I think, unless there was anything else you wanted to add, Chase. Uh, no, I don't think so. Perfect. Um, all right, let's go on to another deal then. Uh, obviously, the, the other ones are a lot smaller, but on to my team in terms of uh, Tyler Mott gets traded from the Ottawa Senators to the New York Rangers for Julian Gauthier and a seventh-round pick that is conditional. And the condition, I think, is if the Rangers make playoffs, it's a, a sixth or something like that. Um, not a big trade, and, and honestly – you know, if it was, a, I think if this happened ten, seven days from now at the deadline, we might not even be talking about it other than just like, hey, they traded a guy. Um, I'm I'm a little torn on 
whether I really like them acquiring Julian Gauthier instead of just going for like a fourth round pick for Tyler Mott, I maybe the fourth wasn't on the table, but like I don't know. This team's problem is depth, and Julian Gauthier is not a he's fine, but he's not addressing your depth scoring issues. No, I don't really see what he does, to be honest. He's better than like four of the Sens depth players now, but that's like, congratulations, you stepped over the bar that was on the ground. Yeah, that's... You know, <laughs> like, and, and again, like, I, I think they would have just had better options internally. Like, I was, and I, I still think, that it sounds like they are going to probably try and flip guys like Austin Watson, which they, they should absolutely do if you can even get a seventh-round pick for them. Because I think there are guys in the minors, like Igor Sokolov or and uh, Angus Crookshank is another guy who are like, especially Kirkshank is like, he's a bottom six guy. He's going to be that in the NHL if he can stick in the NHL, which yeah. is fine as long as you know that. But I'd just rather see him get the shot to do it now while there's relatively nothing to play with, to play for. You know, like the, they're they're in the playoff hunt, quote unquote, but they're seven points out with six teams to jump. Like, you know, th- th- they're playing meaningful games, which is cool, but let the rookies play some time too. Yeah, it's time to experiment. Yeah, absolutely. So... I don't know. Like, I I think, you know, the way so if people want a more in-depth analysis on this from my end, I, I recorded a Sens podcast, last word on Sens podcast, wherever you're listening to this one. Uh, it came out yesterday with Jack Richardson, and and we kind of talked about it. My, my takeaway was there's no way you can call this trade a loss for the Ottawa Senators, but, like, yeah, and you probably shouldn't feel too passionately about it one way or the other. Like, if you're, like, Pierre Dorian needs to be fired because of this trade, you're overthinking it, you know? Yeah, it's the classic trade that means so little. You can't ever be that upset about it. Yeah, but at the other at the same time, if you're like, how dare you criticize him because of this trade? It's like, well, no, like, you know, I can I can kind of disagree with the the general return, but also be like, yeah, it is what it is. Yes, that's a, probably the best way of looking at it. Like, this is suboptimal, but it's not the end of the world. Exactly. So, uh, and then another trade that broke today, the Arizona Coyotes are being the Arizona Coyotes. Did you see this one? I did see this one. This is pretty recent, right? Yeah. Shea Weber gets sent to the Arizona Coyotes. This team is just a legends row. Pavel Datsu, Marion Hosa, Shea Weber. Uh, they also get a fifth round pick, obviously take his contract and they send Dyson Mayo back the other way, who is currently in the AHL. Um, knowing how many injuries Vegas seems to have every single year, I wouldn't be surprised if Mayo finds his way to the NHL at some point. Um, I gotta be honest, I don't know the point of this deal. I guess there must be, I, I, I'll completely um, claim ignorance here. I don't know how, oh, you know what it is. So I don't know exactly how LTIR works, but I know there's only a certain amount you can have on LTIR before it like you can before you can claim as much as you have on if that makes sense yeah and they had to put mark stone on ltir uh, so okay. i'm wondering if shea weber's contract no longer gives them the value it did at the beginning of the year because they now have stone and robin leonard on ltir and nolan patrick but stone and leonard make up like 15 mil between the two of them that could make sense. I know very little about uh, LTIR. Four well. goalies on their NHL roster right now. 
Uh, they do? Uh, yeah. They have both Brassois and Hutchinson at emergency recalls, and Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson just sitting on the roster. I I, I don't know why, but um, so yeah, I, I if I had to guess, it must be something like that. I again, I'm not gonna get into the, the weeds of it. For Arizona, this is a contract your LTIR. It, honestly, they might just leave it out and, and have it accrue some cap the hit let them hit the cap floor next year. But at the very worst, this is a contract you're obviously LTIRing um if needed, and you get a fifth round pick for it, I guess. Um there, there's not a lot to talk about. It's more just Arizona being Arizona. This is what they do with all these LTIR contracts. Yep. T joins uh Andrew Ladd and Brian Little. Couple couple old jets and yeah, good for them. Fifth round picks better than not having a fifth round pick. Yeah, I yeah, you're right. So Dyson Mayo was a guy who I uh I really wanted to see a team like Ottawa trade for him and give him a bit of an extended look. But he never really seemed to work Take out. A shot at least. Yeah. But he's not like I, I think he's probably just a bottom bottom pair player anyways, but and he was really bad last year. I didn't yeah, actually he realize. looks like a five or a six this year. Yeah, yeah, like he's been fine defensively, and you know, but so, um, yeah, I just wanted to point that out as well in terms of another trade that has happened. So, um, I, I think they'll they'll keep trickling in this week. This week, obviously, I think, uh, you know, I we obviously haven't talked about it off air yet, but I think uh, a good plan for us going forward is uh, next week we'll probably record earlier in the week to get. I, I would guess there's going to be a couple more trades between now and and over the weekend. And then, you know, maybe we can do our, our final little midweek episode, and then we'll uh, obviously record early the following week because the trade deadline's on a Friday this year, which is a weird I, – I like it, but it's a weird day for content-wise, you know? Like, Friday's not usually a good content day, whereas past years, the trade deadline's been on a, a Wednesday, if I want to say correctly. So me and you would just hop on at 5 o'clock and immediately record a trade deadline review. Yeah, that is weird that they're doing it on a different day, okay? I think it like it, to me it makes sense in terms of then you don't have to schedule because you can never really schedule too many games on trade deadline day because like it just made it hard for teams playing right either getting guys sure. in or out you know you're gonna miss guys out of your roster so doing it on Friday when you really only have a game or two playing most nights anyways to me makes sense and then also your marquee day is Saturday so anyone who gets traded could theoretically start on Saturday so on, on that aspect I do understand it. Yeah, that makes some sense. I don't know if that's what the actual thinking was or if it was just a random luck or not, but uh, that, if it was, I'll, I'll give them their props. But maybe that's giving the NHL too much credit. I don't know. Yeah, I have no clue what the logic is there, to be honest. Yeah, so uh, we'd like to give a shout-out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 is perfect for daily nutrients and gut health support. AG1 solves two of the most important health needs, the nutrients your body needs each day and the foundation of long-term gut health. Together, together, they fuel whole body health, impacting everything from sleep, digestion, energy, mood, immunity, to the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Simply follow the link in our description and get started today. All right, let's get on to another piece of news. The Detroit Red Wings have signed only Mata to a two-year deal, $3 million AAV for a total of $6 million. Uh, on the contract, not a massive move. Do you have a, a opinion on this one way or the other? I'm not gonna lie, I don't think I do. This kind of 
I don't know. I, to me, this kind of falls under the box of like, I'm just curious why this has to be done on February 22nd, right? As trade deadlines approaching. Like you just think you'd have different things on your plate at the moment kind of thing. Yeah. Like maybe the player wanted some like, um, showing that he wasn't going to be moved or whatever, but like, I don't know. Like it's just, it just feels like a weird time, you know? Yeah, for the sake of the player, maybe it's nice to have some certainty going into the deadline. Yeah, and like having it on paper obviously makes it official. But yeah, maybe and maybe that's all it is. Um, but also, this is like a number five defenseman. Who cares about his certainty? Like, yeah, that's, not, that's a bad way of putting it, but like, it's the truth. Yeah, unless you get him at a discount for it or something. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's like, if I'm got to wait to see if I get moved, I'm demanding 500k more or something. In which yeah, case, sure, like, like if you're going to sign him, regardless, give you a discount because I don't want to go through the uncertainty of a of a deadline and a, on an expiring deal because I'm sure that sucks. Yeah, oh, I would, yeah, I would totally like. I mean, you you've heard any player, but they're just so awkward, especially then too, like guys who think they're on their way out because they're in the rumor mill. And end up staying around and don't actually get flipped. It's just like, it's so weird. Yeah. My next yeah, question so is maybe. Is... Oh, go better. ahead, sir. I was going to say maybe. So maybe it's better to avoid that. I don't know exactly how to put like a price on what it's worth to avoid that, but I'm sure it's not nothing. Yeah, I agree. But my next question is then why are you giving only Matt of all guys $3 million a year, two years in advance? But. Yeah, I think that's fine. He's like an average ish player. I'd say he's close to replace. Maybe, maybe I'm not looking into it fair enough. Like average I was under the probably a little generous, but I would say I was under the impression he was closer to replacement level than average over the past couple of years. But yeah, I mean, he's got like vaguely decent. He's probably slightly below average. He's got all right defensive numbers and mm-hmm. mediocre to bad offensive numbers. Next out at like a if you. Probably looks like a five on paper. If you were really passionate, he's a four, so you can give him $3 million. I'd be like, yeah, sure. He's probably a four on Detroit, to be fair. It might be higher than that on Detroit. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Um, Depending if you count uh, Ben Sherrod or not. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing, right? Like, I wouldn't, but I don't know. I, I just, it, to me, it was just kind of a, Strange, I saw him. I went, hmm, that's a little, little weird. Again, not not the end of the world, but like, I just, just odd. A, it is just odd. Like you're locking yourself into a decor of Ben Gerard, Olimata, you know, Cider's great, obviously, and then Philip Ronick's been solid this year as well. But like, that's not the most inspiring top four I've ever heard. No, that's pretty tough. At yeah. least, uh, at least Wallman's been a revelation, but still, yeah, and like they, they do have Simon Edmondson, obviously in the minors as well, but um, you know that'll be they're hoping that they'll be able to get him up sooner rather than later. I'm sure in terms of um, um, going forward, obviously. So um, yeah. yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't have a ton more to say on it. Yeah, me neither. That... <laughs> It's one of those things that's so small again. It's it's kind of tough to be really upset about. Yeah, exactly. Um, let, let's just see. I, I don't know if that's... Am I crazy or is Vlad Gavrikov for a first and a third 
Like that's as bad as like the Savard trade from a couple years ago, right? That's probably a pretty good comparable for it, actually, in terms of price. Yeah, like Gavrikov's fine. There must be some sort of private thing that he looks like a god in, because publicly he just looks like the most meh. And like again, there's value in meh, but probably not a first and a third. Like he's he is just a very average looking defender on paper. Yeah, like, and he hasn't even been that, like, he, he, again, he's had struggled this year and even parts of last year. And, like, you can argue, and, and he's struggled. The more he struggled, the more he's gone up the lineup, which is, uh, you know, something that should say enough. But, I, like, for a team like Boston, they're only going to want to use him on their third pair anyways, which, you know, maybe maybe you're, if the argument is if you're Boston, you just don't give a shit about the future. Just even if you think this is a marginal upgrade, it's worth it. I guess I can understand that. Like one of the Boston's one of the few teams that could make this trade. And if it does happen to be Boston, I would give them more leeway than say if like even Toronto yeah. was making it. Yeah, and they just crushed the Lindholm trade, which people were skeptical of Hampus Lindholm at the time. So maybe they deserve some benefit of the doubt there. But what I'm skeptical of is like They've been the best defensive team in the league by an insane margin this year. They have 30 fewer goals against than everyone else. If I'm reading this correctly, like if you want to bring in the defensive defenseman, like how you can't win games negative one to zero. Yeah. I mean, you're way past the point of diminishing returns there. If you're already like four standard deviations from league average in terms of defensive play. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, teams have tried to win negative one to zero. So a couple of those Islanders teams really tried their hardest. True. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's just every year I feel like there's just one or two trades that everyone goes, oh, that doesn't seem like a smart trade at the deadline. And like 98% of the time, they end up not being smart trades to make at the deadline. Yeah, for the most part, trust your instincts. Yeah, like... Ben Chirot was last year. David Savard was a couple of, But even the David Savard one, people defend that because Tampa won the cup. So it doesn't matter. Well, that's the thing, right? If you win the cup, everybody pretends that bad trades are good. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, Boston's most likely team to win the cup, so. Mm-hmm. So maybe it'll work out. And again, this isn't official, but it was just it was reported. And you don't actually see the return reported a lot um, this early out if a, if a thing hasn't... Uh, actually gone down but yeah if it's not done yeah all right let's wind down with an overrated underrated favorite least favorite let's let's do the jerseys again let's go metro division this week okay and i'm gonna switch it to jerseys as a whole so it's gonna include their alternates as well and stuff like that all right it won't be a specific jersey we'll just do team jerseys as a whole if that makes sense yeah all right overrated hmm Overrated in the metro. This is this is tough. I might go the Philadelphia Flyers. That's a I don't, decent one. I've never loved the Philly jerseys either. No, they're fine slash like I'd say they're below average, and also they're like reverse retros. Usually, just aren't that great. They had the Stadium Series one where they did the ugly black as well, like. I just, I, I don't know. I, because I, I want to say the Rangers, but I do actually like the Rangers. And like, maybe they're slightly uh, overrated, but even the Statue of Liberty jersey is so nice. Yeah, I was going to pick the Rangers ones. I, I love those Statue of Liberty ones. I just find they're, 
their regular jerseys pretty bland and like that's not necessarily a bad thing but they're very very iconic and i just look at them as like meh that's a jersey yeah i think you can make a pretty good argument for a lot of the original six teams to be just overrated in general yeah from a jersey perspective uh underrated. Well, a lot of them are pretty classic right which is yes a gift or a curse depending on the way you look at it like they're classic because they're original six teams but it also just means they're somewhat bland too yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, underrated. Underrated I Metro. think I have who I... Hmm. Hmm. I might go New Jersey for this. I really like New Jersey's base logo, actually. And you, they can kind of work a tint of green in there, and it, it kind of works as well. I don't love their reverse retro... Um, and their, their stadium series one was kind of weird, just a jersey on it, and like that did a bunch of memes like, "Oh, we should do a hat that says hat," or they should put a helmet on their helmet. Like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. But, but even the, the I, jer- I, I thought it was a pretty clean design. It reminded me of like a Brooklyn Nets kind of thing. I'm into that. I, as someone who's worn a Devils hat for the past 15 <laughs> years, I do love their logo. I think it's an objectively elite logo that doesn't yes. get discussed very often. I really like the tint of red that's on their jersey. It's a nice yeah. red. Oh, yeah, sorry, I shouldn't I, say I, I like the base of red. Sticking with the red theme, I also like the Hurricanes stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the Hurricanes gets a little um, sh- gets shit on a little too much, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Um, like, even uh, they're like the the Kane logo thing. Like, I don't mind those jerseys. No, I don't mind them at all. I remember when. Everybody like would always dunk on the Hurricanes. I remember when Jonathan Drouin was getting traded, and like me and Charter loved Drouin. We're like, we're getting a Drouin jersey from wherever he gets traded to. Of course, he gets traded to the Habs, and we definitely <laughs> did not buy a Habs jersey. But I was hoping for Carolina. I was like, I low key like their jerseys. Yep, I got a Svechnikov jersey in my uh, basement right now. So yeah, you could do a lot worse than that. Favorite? I think we're gonna have the same one. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, my favorite. Oh, by mile. The Penguins so, might be my favorite jerseys in the sport. They're up there, top five, I would say. But so many good ones. Like the reverse retros are solid. The baby blues from the, the stadium series that they used to wear. Like just the, the, the old-time gold Pittsburgh Penguin as well. They Yeah, they have so many good jerseys. Other than that one Leafs winter classic one that I have the Nylander jersey of, like I think multiple Penguins jerseys are my next favorite jerseys of all time. Yeah, I I think they they usually do a really good job designing it. Yeah, I'm with you. Least favorite. Least favorite in the Metro. Right, Columbus. I was probably gonna say Columbus too. I feel bad doing that, but like they're. I don't like hate many jerseys the way a lot of people online do, but. I just kind of look at them and don't feel any emotion. Like it's just. I agree. I also kind of throw the Islanders in there too, but I actually love the Fisherman one for the Islanders so much that like, I um, I I I, I there's, there's no no Columbus jersey. I'm like I love that jersey. Yeah, the reverse retro was okay, but like, it was just fine. And like, the the Fisherman jerseys are sweet, aren't they? I love them. They're like, they're so ugly, they're good in, in yeah. a way. 
Like I, I get that's not the most ideal design. And obviously if they wore them every single game, it would be stupid, but I like seeing them every yeah. couple weeks or every couple months. I like seeing a highlight with an Islander wearing a, um, a fisherman jersey. Like I'd love to see that. Yeah. They're a fun gimmick. Plus, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but like with the orange and stuff, like the Islanders are a little more unique. So if I'm going to mm-hmm. be pretty neutral on the Islanders and Columbus, I might as well, I'll give, like, I'll defer to the one that's slightly more unique. Yep, I, I think that's fair. You know, obviously, it's, it's ironic that the other orange team is in their division in Philly, but, like, I don't think there's another team that wears orange in the league, right? And then trying to think of the other regular bases, at least. Cincinnati wears orange for football. The only NFL team, right? A couple baseball uh, teams do. Yeah. Yeah, the Orioles wear orange in baseball. Yeah. The Giants I, too, right? Yeah, the yeah, the yep, yep, that's a good call. The Giants do wear orange. Um the Mets maybe that's have it. some orange. But yeah, no, the Mets are that's another good poll. Jeez, what are you baseball guy here? <laughs> I know so little about baseball, I can't <laughs> believe I need you to do those. But yeah, like that's it's pretty rare. I guess the Oilers too, but yeah, the Oilers. I, I think of them more blue, weirdly, but they do. They, they theirs is a fair one. Yeah. Whereas with the that blue jacket's dark blue. It's like half of every sports league has dark blue, and <laughs> half of every iconic jersey in all the leagues are dark blue too. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. There's overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. Anything else you want to touch on this week, Chase? I think that's all good. I think so as well. Uh, as always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find. Chase's work at theactionnetwork.com. Uh, as I mentioned, latest stuff was a uh, Sense podcast. I talked about the last two weeks or so of Sense stuff and kind of did a short preview on the trade deadline and what I'd like to see from Ottawa specifically. Um, so you can check that out wherever you're listening to this, the last word on Sense podcast. Uh, Chase and I will be back at you probably next early next week, as I, I think, or mid next week, probably with a couple more trades before the deadline. And then uh, as we do every year, we will have a full deadline recap for you, given our our take on every single trade that happened, and you know who we who we think is the big winner and loser, and and you know who did a good job selling, did a good job buying, did a bad job of of either of the other two as well. So uh, you know you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sense and stuff, Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey sixty six. Thank you everyone so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. Bye.